Thanks to Becky. I'm Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm married to her. So, so I was the one she was talking about. So, um, yeah, so thanks to her for just talking about, like, uh, just what church planting has looked like for her and just what it's looked like um, just for our family and for here at River City. So, so, uh, so it's the topic of today's sermon is planting churches. So the first three weeks, first three Sundays of this year, we've really been talking about the vision of the church. So growing the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches. So this is the Planting Churches Week, if you didn't know that already. So um, so my desire for our time together this morning is just that our hearts and our minds will just collectively grow together when it comes to church planting. And I'm not arrogant enough to think that after, like, we're all going to be equally pumping our fists about church planting after hearing one sermon, by any means. But um, yeah, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that God will just move us collectively in that direction together this morning. So uh, some of us have a pretty exhaustive knowledge and uh, knowledge and heart for church planting. Some of us, uh, the only church planting experience that we've had is like uh, just uh, showing up here at River City. And some of us are in between those two extremes. So uh, I had a few small exposures to church planting when I was in college way back then um, at UW-River Falls, just in the church that I was in and things like that. But those are just little experiences. Um, uh, and I have a few exposures to it after college as well, just in some of the ministry experiences that I was having. having. Um, but yeah, like Becky alluded to, uh, the the first big exposure that I had to church planting was actually when I was on staff with InterVarsity at UW-Platteville. So went on staff there to, in 2007, and to make a long story short, um, I was just really confused about how to lead a ministry on campus. I was just really confused. Um, so... Long story short, I started immersing myself in church planting practices. So, um, like books, sermons, like interviewing people, just like learning about that kind of stuff. So, um, like because there's so much turnover on a college campus, basically you're starting everything new at the beginning of every school year. So basically, like the same church, the same practices that you use on campus are the same that you use for church planting. So there's a lot of overlap with that. So that's really what I was learning from. Um, yeah, so there was, the stuff was really helpful and fruitful on campus. And um, like, I was really um, just diving deep into that subject matter, but it wasn't until 2009 um, when uh, Becky alluded to this a little bit, but like we were driving up to River Falls to visit my parents and I was listening to um, the sermon called The Call of the Planter, which is a little overdramatic and everything. But um, but the guy was basically going through the book of Acts and just just systematically just going through like the um, the some examples throughout that book where um, people were plant, called to plant churches, and you know it's one of those things where um, it was just really subjectively just really compelling in a very unique kind of way when I heard that, and that's just really got that's when. Um, that was, you know, in a lot of functional kind of ways, like, like that was the genesis of River City Church back then. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about the subject of church planting because, first of all, um, I think it's biblical, but it's also just personal for me as well. But so this morning, um, we're going to be talking about the biblical basis for planting churches, uh, why church planting helps us stay true to the Great Commission, and what church planting looks for us looks like for us at River City. We'll, pray, we'll see what God does with that. God, thank you so much uh, for you. And just like what Becky was talking about, I pray that you'll just give, um, I pray that I will speak your words and what you want me to. And yeah, 
So we just really trust you for that, God. Yeah, I pray that you'll just give us like ears to hear what you have to say, and I pray that your spirit will just work with that. We love you. Amen. All right, so first of all, so if we're going to be talking about the biblical basis for church planting, uh, we need to first briefly look at the biblical basis for the priority of the local church. So if we don't have a white-knuckle grip on that, then uh, talking about church planting isn't going to make a lot of sense. So, so in order to do that, like, let's go to Matthew 16, 13 through 19. So do we have that on the slides? Okay, I forgot to talk to you about that. So good job, Mike. So, all right, so verse 13. So Jesus is, taught, is with his 12 disciples here. Um, it's in the middle of his, mini, middle of his three-year earthly, earthly ministry. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? When he says Son of Man, he's talking about himself there. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by, by my Father in heaven. And that's some really good stuff, but like, here's where it really gets good for us here. Verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock or stone. And on this rock... I will build my church. So on you, Peter, on your profession of faith, on your leadership, like I will build my church. He uses personal, Jesus uses personal pronouns when he's talking about the church. Like I will build my church. He's the one who owns it. He's the one who builds it. Like it's not your clever small group strategy. It's not like your awesome leadership skills. Ultimately, like I will build my church. Jesus owns it. He's the one who builds it and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church is an offensive weapon against the gates of hell. So, like, you know, some people, like, casually read that passage, and they're like, you know, they think, um, you know, the church is in a defensive posture or something like that. Like, no, like, in that passage, when Jesus is talking about the if the church is in an offensive posture, because nobody uses a gate to like beat somebody up, like here's that gate. Like, nobody does that. Okay, it's like, it's like, it's on an offensive posture, not against people, but against the gates of hell. Will not overcome it. Yeah. So books proclaiming uh, the death of the church, like the church needs to change or die. Well, yeah, there's some things the church doesn't need to change, whatever. But it's not going to die. Like you read the end of the book. This is an unequivocal promise from God that the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know, like my favorite like overdramatic uh, book that came out a few years ago, it was like, it had a, a hearse on the cover of the book. And it was sort of like, is the church going to have a future or a funeral? And I'm like, that's really overdramatic. It's like, what Jesus, like, according to Jesus, like, the gates of hell will not overcome it. Like, the church is plan A. So verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
people entering the kingdom through the advancement of the gospel. Like it seems like a big deal that Jesus is giving the keys of the kingdom of heaven to the church. Like I didn't score very high on my ACT, but even I know that if Jesus himself gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven to the local church, even I know that's a big deal. (laughs) Like the local church is God's plan A. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that's an arts. And whenever I read that, I'm like, that's a pretty artsy way to say that. Like, that's an artsy way to say that what we, what you do in and through the local church has ramifications for eternity. Helping people follow Jesus, discipleship, growing in the gospel. Jesus promises that there are eternal ramifications for what happens in and through the local church. So there's a lot of things that we can see in this passage, but there's at least two things that we can see for our purposes here. So Jesus, one, Jesus prioritizes the local church. So if we want to be like Jesus, we need to prioritize, we need to prioritize it as well. So if God does what he does for his glory and my good, then what is my hesitation in prioritizing what he says is important? Like, why wouldn't we want to give our lives to that, to the flourishing of the local church? And two, like, Jesus owns and builds the church. Like, I want to be a part of something Jesus owns and builds. Like, I'm going to push all my chips into the middle with that. So, now the church isn't, like, I mean, it gets said a lot, and, like, it's totally true. Like, the church is always going to be filled with imperfections because, spoiler alert, people are involved. You're involved. I am. It's like, it's never going to be perfect, you know? But I want to tell you from my heart, like, it is totally worth it to go all in on what Jesus says. It's important. So that's the biblical basis for the priority of the local, of the local church. But So with that said, let's just talk briefly about the biblical basis for church planting. And a lot could be said about this. So I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, okay? So, uh, so last week, Brandon preached about the Great Commission, Matthew 28. So Jesus had died in our place for our sins, came back alive. It was the biggest April Fool's joke ever. Gotcha. Easter is on April Fool's Day today, this year. Did you know that? great day. So it's like he came back from the dead. He's on a, on a mountain with the, the 11 remaining disciples, and he tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's an important question about the Great Commission that was outside the scope of what Brandon was talking about last week. And that is, what did the disciples think the Great Commission meant? So what did the disciples think the Great Commission meant? And the answer to that is that the best way to figure out what they thought it meant is by looking at what they did. And what did the disciples do? They shared the gospel with people who weren't followers of Jesus, and they planted churches. They shared the gospel with people who weren't followers of Jesus, and they planted churches. 
So the nerdy way to say that is that they evangelized and then they congregationalized people. They did evangelism and they planted churches. So look through the book of Acts. Like, so that's like the sequel to the Gospels. So they planted a church in Jerusalem and eventually they planted, long story short, eventually they planted like churches everywhere. So certainly the Great Commission is about more than just planting churches, but it's not less than that. It's not less than that if we're to take the actions of, this, of the disciples to mean anything. Now, some of you are pretty sharp, and I know what you're thinking. Huh? See, I can anticipate what you're thinking. You're thinking like, oh, well, of course they planted churches because there weren't any back then. Genius. I know. But you're totally right. Okay. Um, yeah, and that's totally true. Uh, here at River City, um, we would say that we continue to plant churches, though, because we want to stay true to the Great Commission. Like, we continue to plant churches because we want to stay true to the Great Commission. So why is that? So now, everything I'm going to say in this little part of my sermon, um, if you want to read more in depth about it, like, you can Google Tim Keller, Why Plant Churches. Um, So there's a lot of really thoughtful writers and theologians out there about church planting. Um, There's a guy named Ed Stetzer and Tim Keller, who are probably two of the best of the bunch out there. So if you want to Google that, that'd be good. Um, Also, um, everything I'm going to say in this this part of my sermon um, is stuff that, um, I don't want to overstate this, but there's no other way to say it. But like, um, this stuff is stuff that like every credible denomination out there knows. Okay. Um, this isn't controversial or disputed kind of stuff. So um, it's fair to say that the average church, church-going person probably isn't too familiar with it, but the stuff, this is stuff that all leaders in all denominations know. So I don't know if you know this, but like I, I, uh, my full-time day job is working full-time for River City. My moonlighting job is that I'm the, my pretentious title is like I'm the assistant, I'm the assistant director of church planting for the state of Wisconsin for our denomination, which is the Evangelical Free Church of America. You don't need to remember that. So that's my moonlighting job. So um, so part of my job is, is that I get to go to the, like, get, have to, whatever. So I get to go to these um, national meetings with all these uh, presidents of denominations from all over America. And this stuff, like what I'm about to say, like, isn't, I mean, everybody in those circles knows this stuff. Okay, this isn't controversial. So that's my big disclaimer for all that. So there's a lot of reasons why church planting helps us stay true to the Great Commission, but um, there's just one that I'm going to highlight right now, and that is new churches are the best at reaching the unchurched and dechurched. New churches are the best at reaching the unchurched and the dechurched. So statistically, it is indisputable that the unchurched and the dechurched are more effectively reached by new churches. So Tim Keller puts it this way. And just so you know, Tim Keller is a guy who has, uh, uh, he's he's pastored the same church for 25 years, so he's an established church kind of guy. So this isn't a serial church planter. But So Tim Keller puts it this way. Dozens of denominational studies have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members, 60 to 80%, from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body, while churches over, 15, over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90% of new members by transfers from other congregations. 
This means that the average new congregation will bring six to eight times more new people into the life of the body of Christ than an older congregation of the same size. Like, that's staying true to the Great Commission. But Keller continues, As a congregation ages, powerful internal institutional pressures lead it to allocate most of its resources and energy towards the concerns of its members and, con- and constituents rather than those outside of its walls. So back in November, um, the, the people who I work with in the district, uh, we, we went to a small conference in New York City where Keller was talking. And that's what he said. You know, he was just like, man, like, you know, the last 10 years, like, we just haven't really been reaching people because um, the unchurched or the dechurched, because we've really been in maintenance mode these last 10 years. So, like, we need to move beyond that, and we're working on it. But, like, there's powerful institutional pressures with that. But Keller goes on to say, this is natural and to a great degree desirable. Older congregations often have a stability and steadiness that many people thrive on and need. And we can all think of people like that. This does not mean that established churches cannot win new people. In fact, many non-Christians will only be reached by churches with long roots in the community and the marks of stability and respectability. On the other hand, new congregations in general are forced to focus on the needs of its non-members because if they don't, they'll simply cease to exist. That is so true. (laughs) The last little quote by Keller. He says, in summary, new churches have always, have always, have, in summary, new churches always have and always will reach new generations, new residents, the unchurched, and the dechurched with greater effectiveness than long-established churches. And here's the kicker right here. This means not only that we need church planting so that frontier regions or unevangelized countries can become Christian, but also that Christian countries will have to maintain vigorous, extensive church planting simply to stay Christian. So church planting, it's a vital part of like staying true to the Great Commission. Now, some of you are probably wondering like, wait a minute, so what's more important, like church planting or like strengthening established churches? And I would argue it's a both and. That's, not a, that's a false dichotomy to pit those things against each other. So that nonprofit that Becky and I was talking about that I started, so long story short with that, so um, all the senior pastors of the churches in Platteville, they were my board of directors, and, uh, which was pretty fun, actually. And I was the one employee. And so the plan that we prayerfully hatched um, with all that was that, like, you know what? Like collectively, what we're going to be doing is like we're going to be planting. We want to recruit in church planters from the outside to plant around the Platteville area. And part of the outworking of that is not just because we want to reach people, but because when these church plants go well, we want the planters to come and share stories and like give like and to share like what God's been doing. And we want the fruit of that is that. We want that to provoke us to self-examination so that, and to really encourage us to be on mission and try new ideas. Like church planting was a vehicle to our church revitalization. So it's a both and kind of thing. Like if done well, those things both go well together. So what does church planting look like for River City? 
So first of all, um, that's why we have it as one of the three parts of our of our vision. So, um, and we consistently talk about the vision of our church, and we include church planting, and we talk about it um, consistently. Hopefully, not at nauseum or anything like that. But because we know that if we don't, um, that's something that our people will eventually uh, care less and less about over time, um, and that's just natural because. Um, and my friend Jeff, he planted a church in southwest Wisconsin. And, man, it was, it was a really good church, and it still is and everything. Um, man, like, he, gosh, Jeff was so, he was so discouraged at some point because he's like, man, like, we planted the church. It's like God really built it, and, like, we had people becoming Christians and everything. But we didn't talk about church planting. I like he's like I just think I just kind of took a break from talking about it for a few years and suddenly over time like um my church just kind of forgot about it and that just isn't on the radar for them you know so like it's almost like I need to reconvince them and it's just really hard you know so um I think in his words like there's nothing weirder than a church plant that's again that's against church against planting churches so this is also why, like, we're affiliated with the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church, and X29, which is a church planting network. Like, being part of those networks not only provides accountability, but it also helps us plant churches in the long run. Um, this affects how we allocate money and prioritize partnerships for a mission. Now, keep in mind that our entire our entire budget as a church is a missions budget. <laughs> keep that in mind. Um, but having church planting in our vision deeply affects how we allocate money towards domestic and international missions because we strive to have our budget come in line with our vision. So this also affects how we model church planting principles in the life of our church, especially in the way we plant small groups. So we raise up, you know, in order to like plant other small groups, like first of all, we want to plant other small groups. Uh, We raise up leaders, we commission and send them out to like with a group of people to do that like for the purpose of reaching others so like yeah so like you know by god's grace if god does like you know like um you know have us plant a church someday it's like we've already been like functionally practicing those kind of things with the way we plant new small groups so this affects and um how we emphasize and live out our core value of leadership development like we're developing leaders right now, but we definitely have aspirations of what that will look like when it comes to training church planters for here in Dubuque and beyond. Like, and, and God needs to be raising those people up for that. And this affects how we live out our core value of healthy multiplication because when we plant small groups, like we want to do that in a healthy and sustainable kind of way. Like, same thing for church planting. When God raises us up to plant a church in here in Dubuque or somewhere else, like, you know, um, or just internationally, whatever it is, like we want to be doing that in a healthy and sustainable kind of way. So, and even in saying all this, like we just need to remember that church planting is not a strategy for crowd control. <laughs> church planting is not a strategy for crowd control. So, like everybody who be uh, becomes a covenant member of River City, like we're gonna have that tattooed on our arms together. Okay, it's like. It's not a strategy for crowd control, okay? Um, nor do we value church planting because it seems uh, trendy or cool, which that's a weird thing to, <laughs> to think it's cool or whatever. Um, 
No, it's like we see it rooted in the biblical narrative, and it's all about reaching people who aren't following Jesus and helping them grow in the gospel. Like, that's why you plant churches. Like, if a new church is focused on reaching people who aren't following Jesus, then there's always room for more churches in a city. So, yeah. And that's important because Jesus is worth prioritizing in our lives. And that's why we make, we want to make him known to everyone. Like, not just in our lives, but like in the lives around us. Because, like, the gospel compels us to do that. Like, like, yeah, like God pursues us, and that's why we pursue other people. And that's why we respond to him the way we do, because like he has the supremacy, like he died for our sins, he came back alive, he's enthroned right now and all with all majesty, with all supremacy, and that's why we go forth and like we take we do risky things like that, like even plant churches. Yeah. So in communion, like we respond to him. Because, like, he has the supremacy and he has the importance, like, of everything in our lives. So when we do communion, that's a symbolic way to respond to Jesus. Yeah, we recognize him as the forgiver and leader of our lives. So taking communion doesn't make you right with God. We always talk about that. It's worth saying again. It doesn't make you right with God. But it's like its purpose is remembering Jesus. So the bread represents his body, the juice represents his blood, and those were broken and shed for you. So it's a symbolic way to respond to him. So the bread and the juice are in the back. We do dipping. You dip the bread in the juice. You take it that way. So the worship team is going to be playing three songs. Anytime during those three songs, you can go back whenever you feel like you're just spiritually ready to do that and respond to him. Let's pray. So God, thanks so much for you and that like we're thankful that you pursue us and we're thankful that like you call us to pursue others just in our workplace and our neighborhoods and just like in an authentic kind of way. Um, yeah, and I pray that you'll just really raise up us uh, for planting as well, God. Like, in your timing, in a healthy, sustainable way, like, we're looking forward to that. And, um, yeah. So thanks for you, God. Yeah, I love you. Amen.